0: Thanks Jeff. As uh, Jeff said, we are moving through our Lent series right now called Restore Us in this Lent season. Our Lent journey together as a faith community involves a Sunday morning series on finding and creating space in the midst of our busy and troubled lives to be transformed by the story of Jesus as he was led to his death and ultimately to his resurrection. Pastor Jeff began our Lent series two weeks ago with a look at Jesus and the temptations he faced in the desert in Matthew 4 in a message called Silence Our Longings. We explored ways to intentionally grow in contentment with God, our provider, for both sustenance for our spiritual hunger and deliverance from temptation. And then last week, Jeff shared a message called Wonder and Mystery. And we explored John 3 and Jesus' interactions with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, who was wrestling with the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And it was a reminder that Jesus continually invites us deeper into the mystery of knowing more of God and his hope. And so today, as we move into week three of Lent, we will be taking a look at the deep thirst that each of us has and how Jesus is the only one who offers us living water to truly quench this thirst. The Lenten season is six weeks that are set apart for the purpose of drawing closer to God and seeking him with greater and less distracted intensity. It's a time of repentance when we ask God to reveal to us how our hearts have wandered away from Him. So it's not so much about what am I going to give up, but the real question of Lent is how will I repent and return to God with all of my heart? And so today we will explore John 4. This passage gives us a glimpse into the longest one-on-one conversation that's recorded in the scriptures between Jesus and another person. We often refer to this story as Jesus and the woman at the well. We never learn her name, but we learn from the text that she is a Samaritan woman. Little did she know that day that she would encounter a man at the well who would change her life dramatically. Because this is a more familiar story in the Bible, and because we are so far removed from the customs and the cultures of that time, we have a tendency to miss the incredible significance of these interactions between Jesus and this woman. And my hope is that today we might catch new insight into this story that will change the way we think about ourselves about the way we think about our own thirst and also the way we view Jesus and his ability and desire to quench our thirst. And so today as a symbol of this concept of Jesus being living water that quenches our thirst, I'm going to fill this vase that's on our Lenten table with water and This table has been here throughout our series of Lent. The first week, as we looked at uh, silencing our longings, the vase wasn't here. Last week, we had the vase there, but it was empty. And so today, we fill it as a way to remember quenching our thirst. let's pray together before we go further. Lord, we come before you now and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our hearts to what it is that you want to say to us. Jesus, we thank you that you are living water who truly quenches our thirst. Help us to drink deeply today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at John 4 together. I invite you to follow along in your Bible. There's also a Bible in the rack in front of you, um, and the scripture will also be on the screen if you would like to follow along there. Starting in John 4, verse 5. So he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? "'Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty "'and have to keep coming here to draw water.' "'And he told her, "'Go, call your husband, and come back.' "'I have no husband,' she replied. "'And Jesus said to her, "'You are right when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is, you have had five husbands, "'and the man you now have is not your husband.' What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us and then Jesus declared I the one speaking to you I am he just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asked what do you want or what are you talking why are you talking with her And so then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And now jumping down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what, just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is a powerful story. There's so many things happening. So as we look more closely at this passage, let's begin by noticing the time of day that it is. It's noon. It would have been the custom for Samaritan women to go to the well early in the day before it became too hot, and they would have drawn their family's water, and then they would have talked with each other um, before they returned home. So why is it that this woman is coming alone at the hottest part of the day to the well? Well, We learn later in the text that she is a person with a past. She's been married five times, and the man she's with now is not her husband. She was a woman of social and religious unacceptable behavior. And so most likely she was shunned by the women in her community, She was an outcast among outcasts. She was rejected, not only by the men in her life, but also by the women of her community. She was considered a woman of no value. And so she went to the well alone. And as she arrives, she notices a man at the well. And I imagine her being someone who's used to putting her head down, doing her work, and not interacting with people. And so I'm guessing that her heart started beating fast as she approached the well and saw Jesus standing there. I wondered if she was thinking, who is this man and why is he here now? What are his intentions? It was probably an uncomfortable situation for her as she approached. And then he speaks to her. Jesus asks her, for a drink. It's important to note here that it's not culturally proper for a woman to talk with a man in public alone. So from the very get-go, Jesus is stepping outside of what is considered acceptable. Willard Swartley says in Believers Church Bible Commentary, quote, The disciples have left Jesus, these two are alone in this encounter and ensuing dialogue. The breaches of religious and social boundaries are so culturally deep, so culturally deep are virtually unimaginable. End of quote. So, this encounter violates many cultural prohibitions. Not only is Jesus speaking to a woman alone in public, but she is a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were an outcast ethnic group in ancient times. And it's stated clearly in verse 9 that Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So here Jesus is a Jew, and she is a Samaritan and a woman. She's considered this social, religious, and ethnic outcast. And so Jesus' question to her is shocking. The woman's response Indicates that this interaction is unbelievable to her. And she states the obvious first you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman, and then she says, how can you ask me for a drink? I I wish we could know for sure what the inflection and tone of her voice was. I, I wonder if she was defensive, was she angry, was she intrigued, was she scared. And I also wish that we could know what the look in Jesus' eye was when he responded to her. From the very beginning, Jesus places great value on this woman simply by speaking to her. And as Jesus responds to her question, he takes the conversation to a whole new level, and he says, "'If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink,' You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In ancient times, living water played a significant role in Jewish religion and culture. Everyone knew that living water was from a natural source, like a spring or rainwater or from a moving stream. It was seen by people in that day as water that comes directly from God not carried by human hands or stored in cisterns. And so Jesus' reference to living water carried more meaning and weight in this context than simply meaning that water is life-sustaining. So the conversation goes back and forth between the woman and Jesus, And she asks questions about physical water, and then he responds to her um, with answers about spiritual water that quenches deep thirst in our souls. And he says, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so she starts to respond, which what I imagine is probably a little bit of excitement. And she says, well, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and so that I don't have to keep coming back here. Maybe she was thinking, I don't want to have to keep coming back here in the heat of the day all by myself because no one from my community will speak to me. And then Jesus turns the conversation in a way that he only seems to be able to do, and he says, go call your husband and come back. I imagine the lump in her throat when she said, I have no husband. And then Jesus speaks this word of knowledge about her life, and he says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. If you're like me, you may have understood this part of the story, this word of knowledge to be a time where Jesus is exposing the woman's sin. But in my studies um, for this message, I learned some things that have changed the way I view this part of the conversation. In that time, women did not divorce men. Only men were legally allowed to divorce a woman. And so this woman has been rejected And not just once, five times. And the guy she's with now won't even marry her. So even more rejection in her life. What if Jesus isn't pointing out her sin, but what if what he's really saying is, I see you. I see that you have been rejected over and over again. I see your thirst, and I value you. I speak with you, and I offer you living water, because I don't reject you. When Jesus walked the earth, women were second-class citizens with no rights, no respect, no voice, They were literally the property of men. They couldn't be witnesses in court because the Jews believed that a woman was inherently a liar. The Pharisees hated women. There were 613 pharisaical laws at that time, and 113 of them were written against women. They were not allowed to read the Torah, the Jewish Bible, in a collection collection of rabbinic notes on the second century Jewish oral tradition known as the Jerusalem Talmud, notes a prominent rabbi of that time, Eliezer, saying this, quote, the words of the Torah should be burned rather than trusted to women, end of quote. I cannot imagine this kind of cultural disdain and what it was like for women to be living in this time i can't even fathom it and all those things that i just shared with you those broke the heart of god the humans that he created would have so much disdain for other humans in the world And so it's in the midst of this context of all this disdain culturally and socially and religiously that Jesus connects with this woman and he places high value on her. Jesus knew the deep longings of her heart. He knew the pain of her rejection in society, in her relationships, and in religion. He knew that her true thirst was to be fully loved and accepted. This thirst, to be loved, is a universal human thirst. It's a thirst that God placed within each one of us. Last week, as we looked at these interactions between Nicodemus and Jesus in John 3, we saw this same message of love coming through. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so here Jesus is, the one and only son of God, offering true living water to a woman who has known so much rejection. In her response to Jesus, seeing her and knowing her life, she says, I can see that you are a prophet. And then the two of them enter into a theological discussion about worship. This is like so rare. We just can't even imagine this. A man and a woman alone speaking together and having theological discussions together. And at the end of this part of conversation, we see the woman beginning to catch a glimpse that maybe this man she's talking to is even more than a prophet. And the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And so Jesus graciously confirms his identity by clearly saying to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I can't really imagine what that moment must have been like for her. This man speaking to her alone in public just proclaimed that he is the great I am. And not only that, he was offering her living water. And then it's just at this moment the disciples show up. They have impeccable timing. And I'm sure that having a whole group of men come on the scene at this moment would have felt very overwhelming to this woman. And so she leaves her water jar and goes back to the town telling everyone about what had happened This outcast among outcasts, this rejected woman, after one encounter with Jesus, becomes an instant missionary in her town. Her deep thirst for love was so quenched in Jesus that she ends up being a person who ushers in transformation in her community. So, this story is amazing on so many levels, and we're not going to be able to unearth all that is here for us to learn in this time together this morning. But I want us to hone in on something that the Lord has really highlighted for me this week. Every single one of us has a deep thirst within us to know that we belong, that we matter, that we're loved. But the reality of living in a broken world is that there are times when we are rejected, where we don't feel valuable, times where we are not loved. And this is just a reality on this side of heaven. So we need to be growing and having healthy boundaries in our relationships. And yes, we need to continue to learn what it means to walk in righteousness in our relationships. But when we do experience the pain of rejection, we need to pay attention to how we are dealing with that. Just like our bodies must have water to live, we must have our thirst for love quenched. God put this thirst there, and he is the only living water that is able to truly satisfy us. But we have this tendency to try to quench our thirst on our own. It's been a human condition since the beginning of time as well. In Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah, "'My people have committed two sins.'" They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. On the screen, there's a picture of what a cistern may have looked like in this time. It was a receptacle for holding, collecting water, and the scarcity of springs in Palestine made it necessary to collect rainwater in reservoirs and cisterns. So this was common to people. And so we can see that if a cistern was cracked or broken, it would be useless for holding water. It's important to notice that this water would have also been stagnant water, not living water, I also found it interesting to learn that empty cisterns were sometimes used as prisons. In my own story, out of my own woundings in my life, I have dug cisterns that are broken, which have at times felt like a prison to me. I've tried to quench my thirst through unhealthy behaviors and relationships, through false thinking that ultimately leaves me even more thirsty in the end. And so Jesus' invitation to me and to you is to come drink living water that can only be provided by him. Does he provide living water through relationships with people? Yes, but we can never forget that he is the source of that living water. When we step outside of what he is providing and try to meet our needs our own way and in our own timing, we are building cisterns that are broken and our thirst will not be quenched. If you want to take a look at your bulletin on the back, you'll find some reflection questions with some blanks for you to fill in and I invite you to take some time, it's Lenten season, to be intentional, to slow down, and to take a look inward. And that's what these questions are for. A question that I invite you to ponder is, where have I experienced rejection or a sense of being unvalued? Naming those things, those experiences, helps us to be able to see more clearly what response our response has been to those situations and relationships. So it's important to be able to name those things. And then we need to be asking this. Have these experiences opened a door for me to dig my own cisterns rather than allowing God's living water to quench my thirst? Sometimes, it's easy for us to notice these self-dug cisterns because we know that this behavior or this relationship or this thought pattern is really unhealthy and detrimental in our life. So we can clearly see it. But there may be other times in our life that are harder for us to see these broken cisterns because they are socially and even culturally acceptable. A question that I ask myself to help identify if there is something amiss in me, is what is it that I can't stop doing or thinking about? Another question that we might ask is what is it that I want to keep secret and hidden? These questions help us to identify places that we're trying to meet our needs in our own way, in our own timing. The Lenten season is an invitation for us to pay close attention to these things. It's a time of repentance when we ask God to reveal to us how our hearts have wandered away from him. The good news for us is that Jesus sees each one of us in our brokenness. He sees us completely and loves us more than we can imagine. And so just like the woman at the well, we can find full acceptance in Jesus. And this love and full acceptance is what sets us free from our own dependence on drinking from our own cisterns so that we can drink more of his living water. And so we don't need to be afraid to ask this next question. How will I repent? and return to God with all of my heart to have my thirst quenched with living water? The responses to this question are really endless, and God knows each one of us, and he knows what we need. So it's important that we ask, Lord, how do you want me to repent and return to you with all of my heart so that I can have my thirst quenched with living water? It might be for you that you need to talk with a trusted friend and be honest about some things you're struggling with. Maybe you need to get yourself connected to an accountability group. Possibly it's time for you to make that phone call to the counselor or spiritual director that you've been thinking for years, I really need to do this. Maybe you just need to take some intentional time to get really honest with God. There isn't a right answer to how we repent and draw close to God, but there is the invitation to repentance and returning to God with all of our heart so that we can drink his living water. And the more we drink from the well of Jesus' living water, the more we'll be able to see ourselves the way God does, fully loved, fully accepted, valuable, because we're his. And this transforming gift is so freeing for us, so that's just amazing in and of itself. But it's not only for us, it's also for those around us in our spheres of influence. Just like the woman at the well, the more we encounter the great I am, the more we will be compelled to share his love with those around us. The reality that came into light in Samaria that day becomes a reality in us and to those around us that Jesus really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are living water. And we ask, God, that any place that you are calling us to repent and return to you with all of our heart, Lord, that you would make it clear how we step into that, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you love us in all of our brokenness and that you engage us even if everyone else has rejected us. Help us to drink deeply, Lord, of you and this living water through your spirit that you want to give to us. Amen.